the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back in Hour 2. Switching it up a little. We are usually joined by George Kaloff on Fridays. He is uh, our political uh, guru, our political expert. He is the head of the Resolute Group as well as uh, the president of Data Orbital. And uh, we couldn't uh, visit uh, on our most recent Friday, so we're delighted to have you in studio today, George. Thank you. Always happy to be on with you, Seth. Thank you. Thank you. Um, One of the fun things about Monday is the weekends are kind of political catch-up, whether it's the Sunday shows. In this case, we had CPAC uh, convention, the uh, Conservative Political Action Conference. Uh, so it's 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 maybe not bad to talk a little politics on a Monday. I was just doing a bunch with some of my callers in any event. But uh, one of the things I was talking about was the big talk. It's funny, you know, in days or years, sorry, in years past, this would have been a two or three day conversation. Now it's a three hour conversation. It's over by now. People forgot that George, that uh, Donald Trump gave a keynote address at CPAC this weekend. This morning it was relevant. Now we've all moved on to the next lily pad. The point I was making, though, uh, I, I stipulated he's not my first choice um, for the Republican primary. But for those that say he has no shot of winning a general election, I'm just not so sure that's true. That is a narrative. But my point, George, is that there are so many things that are working towards the narrative that justified so much of his presidency before it kind of collapsed at the end there that I think that it's hard to say at this point that he has, for those who think he has no no clear shot in a general, I think it's hard to say that anymore, especially after thinking about what we've gone through over the past couple of weeks with the revelations about COVID, especially as we look at the, the war with Russia and Ukraine going into something uh, like not a clear win, perhaps a quagmire at worst. When you look at the state of the economy, when you look at the other crises we're dealing with, the narrative about those four years is a narrative most candidates would want going up against the incumbent they have right now. Anyway, my thought, but straighten yeah. me out. No, no. I mean, I, I agree with that. I think it's very complicated because if we all remember the 2020 loss was very close. Yes, from an electoral college perspective, it was a wide margin. But we all understand that when you look at each state, most of the states were within mm-hmm. fractional percents. They were thousands of votes, maximum tens of thousands of votes that separated Biden and Trump. And so uh, we're not talking about millions. It was not a landslide. No. We don't have those anymore in this country. Everything is a seesawing back and forth. Look at how close the House was and how close the Senate is. Everything is down the line. Look at how close we are here in Arizona as an example. Right. So margins are very tight. Um, I think it is more clear than ever that there's a growing uh, uh Reconsideration? There is, but also there's a growing component of, of folks on the right that that while they buy, and this is what makes what you're saying even more complicated, even though I agree with you 100%, the narrative that has unfolded under the Biden presidency has been even worse than we could have imagined, and it continues to get worse uh, all the time. And so the narrative is on the side of the Republicans. On the other hand, though, I think we are at a fever pitch of people just not knowing what to do with his approach to politics 
good, bad, or otherwise. And I'm hearing it again. I hear it all the time from individuals that were Trump supporters and that still believe in all the ideals, but say, "Hey, DeSantis gets me that yeah, without he's the other thing." To me, right? He's right? Exhausted they, me. Yeah. People are tired. They're tired of going back there. And I mean, look, when you saw CPAC, that is his. That is his place. And and while yes, he won the straw poll by a lot. I'll be very honest though. Winning two thirds of that crowd is also very interesting to me. Like I mean, we got to be we got to be abundantly clear. That's. It it is his, um, it's his to to, to two thirds of his own conference. Oh yeah, 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 one hundred percent. And so there's there's something there. And look, Ron DeSantis. I don't know if you. I mean, I'm sure you have. And if listeners have been following the photos that have come out of his events, nine hundred, eleven hundred, eight hundred people. The largest sellout crowd in Orange County history. Their uh, their uh, county chair uh, said he was in Texas. He was in. He went to a Bucky's, and I saw somewhere in Florida for his, you know, an informal uh, tour for his book signing. I mean, the guy clearly has an energy and a charisma, which frankly was similar to when Donald Trump would walk into places. And frankly, he still has that, right? You saw when he walked in to uh, somewhere in East Palestine and he was, you know, people were embracing him with open arms. I mean, there's a lot here to unpack, but just immediately discrediting and say, oh, it's not going to be close. I have, we have nothing in, in, in our empirical data to show that that's the case. Losses are losses, right? Politics, it's not like, oh, you come close, it's a close second. (laughs) We get it. You either win or you lose. But it matters that it wasn't a landslide. We're not talking about a, a you know a you know multi million with a lot loss. of headwinds against him. Yes. It was close with a lot of headwinds against him, and a presidency that just I mean you can't have seventy five percent of the American people routinely saying the country's on the wrong track and call it a successful presidency. That is a temperature measurement of the presidency, isn't it? Yeah, one hundred percent. And so. You know, we're all probably, you know, with all all, all appropriate respect to any human being, but much less a, a, an, an institution like a former president, we're all going to be mourning Jimmy Carter's life in, a, in, in the not too distant future. Jimmy Carter, until two years ago, would have probably gone down as one of the worst presidents in most people in this audience's lifetime and will not be going down as that now. Will not be. Yeah. I mean, you know, who wouldn't want to run against that? Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's politics is is complicated. Uh, The climate that we're in as a country is complicated. A lot can change again. You and I are sitting here. Look at how much changed from August of 21, actually before August of 21. And then look what happened with Afghanistan. And look what happened between Afghanistan withdrawal, the the botched, and then what happened with the leak on Roe versus Wade to then what happened in the in the aftermath of the court decision. I mean, we might as well have been on a seesaw, right? It's, It's worse than what we've seen in the stock market the first two, three months of this year. And so a lot can change. And that's part of the dynamic. Our country... While we are swinging pendulum in terms of um, partisan rancor back and forth, it feels like we are swinging even wider than we ever have in our country. But if you remember back in the 80s, they were seeing landslides that showed that Ronald Reagan won all but one state. Yep. And, I mean, it, it's it's a very different time, even though we were arguably closer together. Yeah. But our landslides are bigger from an electoral that's outcome a fantastically perspective. Fant- that's a fantastic point. Right? Yeah. Outcomes are smaller now, yeah. but we're wider than we've ever yeah, been. What is, what that's, is, is that media? Is that media driven or is it state and geography and moving? Is it electoral uh, map stuff because people are more mobile than they used to be? That's a fascinating point. That's we live a fascinating a- point. We're more divided now and we don't have lands and we don't have the division. 100%. Div- division and of and this is why we live in a world today that in the state of Arizona, and I know this is off topic for the purpose of this discussion, 
a school board member can say from the dais that she wants to say you cannot hire teachers from Arizona Christian University. Yeah. Um, they say because not because those teachers are Christian, but because of the worldview that they espouse, which means that you're not hiring not the teacher. By the way, the college. Yes, the whole college. Yes, right. yes. Yeah. By the way, the whole college. <laughs> right now, the college is banned. Right, and not just as this board. Look, this board is a very you know liberal progressive board. Um, Democrats are defending that decision, except for Lori Roberts chimes in this morning and says, this is not how this is supposed to work. You can't have a whole, it doesn't mean, you know, and again, from her perspective, that doesn't mean that there's some people that, you know, aren't doing things and, and that we shouldn't protect this community that they're trying to protect, but to discredit an entire college, it's a big deal. What's oh, next? Yeah. Grand Canyon? It's called collective responsibility. We don't do it here. We live in a world that allows that. Right. So then, of course, we're going to be more divided than ever, but we're going to be um, razor thin margins because I think the average person is going to look at that and say, I don't understand. I Even if you're not a Christian, is that what we really want to espouse? If you're focused on pushing back on Donald Trump and the way that he talks because of how that's going to come off to your children and trying to explain it. How do you explain this to your kids? Yeah. Even if you don't believe in this, you say to the, oh, no, we don't do this because these people are this type of way. Imagine in the inverse. And that's what Lori Roberts said in the article. Imagine that you um, you say, oh, no, this type of person you, you can't hire from this university. It's off limits because of what they what they do. We would be on our side as conservatives. If we did that, holy smokes, we can't even imagine what would happen. It would not be. We couldn't. Yeah, there's no limiting call. principle. I mean, just think about it. Consider consider any number of analogies. I mean, if you can do that, to, you can do it to one university. You can do it to any university based on speakers they bring in, based on endowments they may take for a speaker series that they bring in. And you are holding individual teachers responsible for something that they may or may not agree with vis-a-vis the institution. If you judged me by the college I went to, holy smokes, how wrong you'd be. It's a different world. But again, it goes back to what we're facing at the national level and why. Someone like Trump and especially someone like DeSantis still has an appeal. Uh, And even look with all the talk about what happened in Arizona. The race came down to for governor 17,000 votes. It's essentially 50-50. We have to keep that in mind. That's right. That's because right. there's a palpable, palpable um, distrust with institutions. There's a palpable anger when things like this happen. What do you think the response is going to be? The rank and file person, what are they going to feel like? Oh, you're going to say this about something that I believe or my people, quote unquote, if you're a Christian or you believe in what Arizona Christian University espouses and now you're off limits? Yeah, that's what right. What kind of message is that supposed to send? Well, I think the message that it does send, which is Christians are not welcome. I think I, I mean, I think that is a deduction that some people have to take. I think another one is that this is uh, pure, pure, pure poisoning of the political well for purposes of education. And I think, well, we can come back on this because we're going to a break, but I think that that is the thing that, you know, if we as a party and a movement play it right, we'll see in more and more victories on, on this education issue. One of the reasons I have liked your work so much is your ability to understand the cultural temperatures and the cultural themes that kind of move in these election cycles but also the fact that education is an issue, a set of issues and in institutions that conservatives gave up at their peril and is ripe for us to take back and win on. Let's, let's pick up on some of that when we come back. George Kaloff is our guest. I'm Seth Leapson. Feel free to call, too, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. George Kaloff is our in-studio guest from the Resolute Group as well as Data Orbital. Uh, There's so much to say about this. I don't even know where to begin except maybe I'll start here. Probably up until about five years ago, probably up until about five years ago, 
most Republicans would have never heard of or even known much about this thing called a school board. Um, the story I um, I often come back to is one I read in the L.A. Times circa 19 mid-90s, I don't remember, 95, 96, something like that, where a woman was um, run over. She survived, but she was run over by a car racing across the street on Crenshaw Boulevard in Los Angeles because she was afraid she was going to be late to her school board meeting, and I knew immediately this was not a Republican. A Republican would not be racing in the 90s to get to a school board meeting. They understand what they're doing over there through education, the left, the progressives do. We're just waking up to it. But funny now that we're waking up to it, George, that school board decisions are making as many headlines as state legislature decisions. It's interesting how many headlines school board decisions and meetings are now making in the mainstream media because we're waking up to it and starting to hold them accountable for what they used to be doing as routine because they thought that this was wholly owned property of the progressive left. Education is part of the part of the area of politics that we would consider cultural, cultural issues. And it seems to me if we do want to try and if we can become a majority party, we have to take these cultural issues very, very seriously. You look at the way blue-collar workers, uh, you look at the way middle-class voters are now voting, and it's undeniable how they're moving to the Republican Party increasingly with each election. They are The Democratic Party is losing them. And it dawns on me when you think about the big landslide of 1984 and the one that presaged it in 1980 with Ronald Reagan. It was because he was able to, on cultural issues, um, get those Macomb County, Michigan kind of Democrats that looked around the world that they were given by the left and the Democratic Party and saying exactly what you said. This just doesn't make sense. Something is fundamentally wrong about this. I'm not going to get that job or that promotion because of my race. Um, you can kill a child unborn for any reason. You think we have an inordinate fear of communism? They all went to Reagan because he knew how to approach them, um, and the Democratic Party took him for granted. We're kind of standing at that moment now if we play it right. Seems to me. I said a lot there. You take it away. Uh, we are once again, and, and I think, you know, I'm not saying anything that's new. We're not reinventing the wheel here. We are in a pivotal time as a country. If we look at a situation like this, Seth, and if someone can look at this and say, no, they were justified in this decision to make a blanket cancellation of a university based on a portion of this university's mission statement without actually taking um, any one individual in what they can or cannot do and in their ability and substance, we have a major problem. Because if this is the road that we want to walk down, we've seen how this plays out around the world. When we divide our country on religious lines and on racial lines and on any other lines like that, we are... We're going to be in a world of hurt. That's not the way that America and that's not the way the founders uh, intended us to be. That's not the way that America was set up. And we need to challenge ourselves. There's a time and a place to debate these topics. They're substantive. And there's a lot of disagreement in our country on them. And I totally get that. But to cancel uh, a faith group from being hired based on uh, what these teachers may or may not do after especially this this uh, school district has had a long-time relationship and there's not actually a single problem this is the other thing that was cited there's never been an actual problem no, that was right. cited in this discussion right. it was just a blanket change we we really have a lot to consider because 
We don't want to go down that road. And by the we, I don't mean Republican we. I mean we as Arizonans and we as Americans. You're a Democrat. You're a progressive. You're a conservative. You're a Republican. If you actually think about it, you don't want to go down that road. And we better watch out before it's too late to be able to come back from it. You know, when you talk about those divides and those divides along religious lines or racial lines, let's do them both um, in a moment, but one at a time. Let's do the racial divides first. I think in the last time we visited, a couple weeks ago maybe, um, I was talking with you about the announcement of Nikki Haley and the announcement of Vivek uh, Ramaswamy. And it's interesting, Indian Americans do tend to vote for the Democratic Party right now, but they are showing something about the Republican Party and perhaps about immigrant groups or ethnic minorities in this country that they have a stake in this country succeeding along non-divisive lines. And it says something good about the Republican Party, as well as about the country, as well as about those candidacies, that they're willing to talk about those things, too. And, uh, you know, if the Democrats keep up at this, I think they're not only going to lose working class, they're going to lose more and more Ramaswamis. Yeah, yeah. Look, I am proud of my heritage. I'm proud of where I came from, Lebanon, in the Middle East. But my family came here for a reason. I am an American. And I'm proud to be an American. We need to talk about these things. There are, there are um, there's a lot here to unpack. People say this often about uh, Senator Tim Scott and his walk and how he is able to. I think you and I have talked about this as well, how mm-hmm. he approaches this issue and he's willing to approach this issue head on. While we should talk about this issue, if this issue is the end all be all and it is the thing that divides and you say you're this type of American or that type of American, then have we even come from where we were in the 60s or come from where we were in the past or where other parts of the world are in? No. If we're dividing Demo- ourselves in no, that, right? No, that's exactly right. The Democratic Party is taking us back to the 1950s South um, in, in, in all their policies, if not their speech. Um, in the Wall Street Journal this morning, uh, Sadnan Dume, also an Indian American, wrote about Haley's and Ramaswamy's candidacies this. I think it's a, a, a beautifully written sentence and a, and a, and a true sentence. Their candidacies may may or may not prevail and likely won't, but they puncture the corrosive myth that America is a racist nation constantly threatened by the phantom of white supremacy. And they underscore why striving immigrant communities from all parts of the world need an alternative to the Democratic Party, whose obsession with identity politics undermines the principles of merit and fair play that makes the U.S. great and made the U.S. attractive to their parents in the first place. What more need be said? 100%. Look, there's, there's a lot to unpack in our in our history. We're not saying that. You and I have never said, oh, my gosh, nothing's ever happened in American history. But it's the way that we have to talk about it. Again, it, it, whether we're applying it to Arizona Christian and what just happened with the school board, whether we're applying it to people trying to cancel entire swaths of decades of our of our history, that's just that's not how we teach our children. That's not how we teach the next generation. That's not how we advance as a nation. America is not perfect. We're not saying it's perfect, but the American ideal and the American way of life and the way that the founders put this country together is why millions of people will risk their lives and their entire livelihoods to come to this great nation. That's why my family's here. Yeah, they'll give up their jobs in the old country for no job here to give their child or their grandchild a shot at a better better place here. I mean, 
the story of Elian Gonzalez and his mother is the American story, and it's the story that Ronald Reagan gave a speech about, uh, tw- you know, in 1964, obviously before either of the Gonzalez's were ever born, about how people living in immiserated countries or countries of crushing tyranny um, have have somewhere to go to. We we are we are the city of refuge country. And the moment we start turning ourselves into the countries people are fleeing from, we've got a big problem. Let's talk about the religious thing, too, the dividing on religious lines when we come back. George Kaloff is our guest. He and I are dealing with the big issues today. It's great. I love it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. George Kaloff is our guest. He is the head of Data Orbital as well as the Resolute Group, the uh, best political consultant I know, and we're delighted and lucky that he is um, he, he is based here in Phoenix, Arizona. George, the divisions that the Democratic Party and the left put us through, we were talking about the racial divisions in the previous segment. There has been a, a simmering one with regard to religion as well, and I think we're seeing it in sharp relief with what happened at the Washington School Board. Something about the progressive left that simply won't leave religion alone. At one point, they would stand up to talk about the First Amendment requiring neutrality. Now it's as if they want a naked public square where religion is um, not only um, absent, but uh, defeated as having any role in American public life. And this is at base, as as Alexis de Tocqueville still said, our first institution in America is religion. And and frankly, uh, not only do I agree wholeheartedly, um, it has a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means, particularly for a Christian to be a Christian. it is a part of who you are. It is not like I have my hat on Sundays and I'm a, this is my Christian hat and then I leave it and then now I'm not a Christian anymore once I leave the walls of my church. It is the way that we conduct life that does not mean we conduct life in the sense of, oh, America should be or we want America to be a theocratic nation and everyone needs to be Christian. But who we are as Christians informs our day-to-day walk and you'll notice elected officials that are people of faith and I say Christian broadly this is you know evangelical Protestant Catholic you name it of course we're going to invoke faith in in what we do you see this with with Jewish um, elected officials Muslim elected officials Hindu you name it because it informs how you conduct yourself and so there's a fundamental misunderstanding to say and to tease it apart and again there's I was just uh, in the break where's looking at things on, on Twitter, not just defending it, but now calling out Lori Roberts and her pushback in, in their article to say, no, it wasn't the point about Christianity. It was a point about discrimination, right? And that's the pivot. It's like, it's not about who you are as 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 people of faith. It's because your faith tells you to discriminate. And so we're focusing on the discrimination. And, and, that's, the, uh, and that's the answer. And Which is just... ultimately going to be a focus on religion. And when the claims for public accommodation laws were made in the name of non-discrimination, a lot of people could get on board with that. They were worried that toleration would, at one stage later, possibly morph into mandate. And the idea of being simply left alone to practice your faith um, has been marginalized by the left. You know it from the cake shop uh, issues that take place in 
bakery issues that take place in Colorado or in the Pacific Northwest. You know it here from um, what was the, what was the uh, what was the stationery company, Brush and Nib, the Brush and Nib case. Um, it's not enough that the left asks for toleration; it's that they want us gone, absent, defeated, and nowhere in public life or the public sphere whatsoever. And it's an intrusion into one of the probably most fundamental, if not, and I hesitate to use the word, but it is true, sacrosanct areas of American life. We are still at base fundamentally a religious people. I didn't say that. William O. Douglas did. Yeah, and and fine. There's a growing percentage of people that identify as the nuns, and and that's nuns. I don't mean nuns as in Catholic nuns. I mean like non-religiously affiliated. Okay, there's still a lot of people that are religiously affiliated, and that faith is deepening and growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what are you going to do with them? Yep. You're just going to tell them no, you can't. You right. can't participate. Well, right. under what uh, under what grounds? So right. You can only participate if you abide by these set of rules. Right. Okay, so so now, what's the dominant faith in the public square? And who's the tolerant one? By the way, who's being tolerant? I mean, yeah. again, it's it's the same song and dance. We keep having it, and it's like, you know, we've been debating about this for years and years. We've gone well beyond. Um, the initial arguments of when this movement started on the left, mm-hmm. which started with gay marriage. We've gone well beyond that. And actually, the, the, the research around that and the commentary on that is, is non-existent because it's it just sort of is, right? Mm-hmm. Now we're on to other things that completely um, affirm some of the individuals and the arguments that were made to say, okay, you know, this is going to, you know, we're going to end up doing here, mm-hmm. going here. And we've gone there and then some. And now there's even divisions on the left in terms of how to deal with this. You have sure. people that are speaking out. Sure. Lesbians are speaking out saying, well, men can't be lesbians. And then they're getting canceled. I mean, this is a day-to-day. Look at what's happened with J.K. Rowling. She's right. not like she's some conservative right. darling. Right. It's just there's a pushback well, on Well, the first stuff. wave, a gay marriage proponent community of Andrew Sullivan and Jonathan Rush and the type, they are highly offended by this transgender movement because they said, wait a minute, I thought we were fighting to say it was okay to be gay, not that it wasn't okay and you had to change your sex. I mean, it's 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 it is roiling all kinds of rationale. And the truth of the matter is this. The truth of the matter is you said it in the very first segment. I have to go to break. We'll come back on this. But you said it in the very first segment. It's the offense to common sense. And at a certain point, more and more Americans are going to say that's just not right. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Leapson Show. George Kaloff is our guest in studio. Delighted to have him. He's happy to take your calls as well. 602-508-0960. He's the president of the Resolute Group and the man, uh, he's the president of Data Orbital and the managing uh, partner at the Resolute Group, uh, consulting firms here in town, um, based locally. I was making the point earlier, uh, in the last hour, George, that I obviously have a lot of resentments and despair of many things. Most, A lot of people do, not most maybe, but a lot do. One of the things I despair of is the sour grapes Republicans who, uh, if they don't get their primary candidate, don't, um, don't show up in the general election. And a degree worse than that, the next circle is that who then will even some actually support the Democrat. We saw some of that here in Arizona, and uh, I'm wondering if there's any buyer's remorse we have had some bad governors in Arizona. I'm going to guess this one is going to go down as just about the worst, uh, based on what I have seen so far, based not only on what I've seen so far, but based on what I've seen in the campaign as well, which should have been instructive. 
But um, buyer's remorse is probably not a strong enough word for some of those people who may have made those ill-fated considerations. Um, how are you rating the governorship of Katie Hobbs thus far? Peculiar. <laughs> okay. It is, uh, it is peculiar how she has approached this. And again, I understand many may be like, well, George, why are you surprised? Well, because she said time and time again that she was going to work with any um, well-intentioned, you know, she used code words, I suppose, um, but it is very clear that there's no interest in working with the Republicans, which is a big problem because the Republicans have two-thirds of control of government. And so, for example, if we want to ever pass a budget, you're going to have to sign a budget that Republicans pass. This is not going to be a budget that you want, and it's not going to be anywhere close to the budget that was proposed because that's just not how that works. And then this past week, we saw Democrats. I'm not saying that they were told by the ninth floor to do this, right? Ninth floor being the governor's office. Democrats voted no on every bill, including one of their own. Lots of drama kicked up. And again, lots of insider drama. But nonetheless, it affects average Arizonans. Why? Because there are bills that are being voted on that are that have consequence. Like, for example, uh, every Democrat voting against money to widen the I-10 between Phoenix and Casa Grande. Anyone who's ever driven to Casa Grande knows that it's a very dangerous stretch of road. And the local Democrat representative from there voted no because every member of the caucus is voting no because we're going to teach those Republicans a lesson for something that, again, is super inside baseball. So I just say that to say it's peculiar. It's not helpful. Not to, willing to have discussions even amongst uh, about the budget when the Republicans were invited up to talk to her about the budget? Again, if your talking points against the Republican nominee in 2022 was to say she was going to lead us down this road and it was going to be a circus, but I'm the adult in the room. And then you take a photo and I keep coming back to this thing. You take a photo with the veto stamp. What are you doing? Yeah. What is what message is that supposed to send? Is that supposed to send a message that we're going to move on once again? How am I? You know, I heard this line. Of, how am I going to explain this to my kids? Well, who, who's acting like the adult in there? Are you acting like an adult in the room? <laughs> we have to come together again. There's a Democrat in one place, two Republicans in the other place. And look, kudos to and obviously um, I'm not, a, I suppose, a, a non-biased uh, party, but I'm big fans of Speaker Toma and Senate President Peterson. And most importantly, the way they've been able to work together. No. Holy smokes, we're in March, and they have been on every major issue, uh, I hope I don't jinx us, in lockstep. And kudos to them for doing that, and the rank-and-file members for doing that, and, and the leadership in both chambers. And, I mean, again, the governor is, you know, she just signed her first two bills after vetoing, I think, 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them really good, like, for example, the rental tax, which, by the way, hurts um, individuals that are tend to be on fixed income and much likelier, by the way, if you rent an apartment in Scottsdale for $6,000, a rental tax is not going to do anything to you. But if you rent an apartment um, you know, somewhere else where rent is not six, $7,000, rental tax is a big freaking deal if you're mm-hmm. on a fixed income. And she vetoed that because it was not in line with what, um, for example, the League of Cities and Towns. Again, complicated issue, but nonetheless, who's helping Arizonans here? And who, again, is trying to become the party of the middle-class American or the working-class American? Um, and who is trying to give them the uh, a deaf ear and, and a cold heart? And uh, it seems like the Democrats have really become very elitist, not only in their attitudes, but in their public policies as well. And so if we can return to that thing that we were talking about, this mysterious thing called common sense, you kind of look around and there are cycles. And these cycles, this moment does kind of remind one of 1978 and 1979 again. It just doesn't make sense to most people, to most people who aren't, you know, 
political animals, but they will be driven to become political animals. They will be driven to become political animals because they realize it is politicians who are doing this to their community, their state, their country, and their and their livelihoods. Yeah. I mean, look, we've got a lot of work to do. Again, the voters sent this one clear message. The state is like on a razor's edge. We have a lot of work to do. Arizona is in a great place by a lot of different metrics. All right. There's a lot of people coming to Arizona because people like to come yeah. live in Arizona. We passed the Gates test. Which way are people running? Right? Yeah. So with that said, though, and you and I talk about this all the time, that means we have more responsibility than the average other state. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of problems to contend with, Mm -hmm. water, infrastructure, big, big things. Mm -hmm. And look, we've dealt with a lot of big problems from education on down. And we've increased funding and teacher pay. I mean, all kinds of things that we were able to do in those eight years with Governor Ducey and Republican House and Republican Senate. We still have to work through problems now. And I understand we're not going to agree on a lot of things. But just, you know, eventually... You're going to have to sign a budget. I mean, that's the other thing, too. When, when you're going down, this is where the, the, the politics around the cliffs don't work. Mm-hmm. It's, we're staring down a path where you have to sign a budget. There's no scenario where we don't sign a budget. It's not how this works. And so what are, we, what, what are you doing, right? If, if you're the governor and the thought process there, okay, are we going to have more budgets that are vetoed than votes for speaker, right? Are we going to have 15 budgets that are vetoed until we sign the 16th one? Are we going to be doing this at midnight, 11.59 you know, uh, p.m. on June 30th, right before July 1st? And there's talk about somehow potentially, I, I don't even know if this is doable, recessing and sort of almost being in a perpetual, which some states do, Arizona does not, in some weird perpetual session to be able to get this done, or you get out and you have a special session for the budget. I mean, <laughs> almost everything's on the table because this is unprecedented. And so far, again, early March, um, you know, we're, we're just doing this kind of weird game of chicken. How much in the voters' mind or democratically inclined voters' minds Joe Biden likes to – Democrats like to often say this isn't your father's or grandfather's Republican Party. I think they're full of it. I think they don't understand it. But it is eminently true that today's Democratic Party is not yesterday's Democratic Party. It's not even yesterday's Arizona Democratic Party. This is not the party of Bruce Babbitt. This is not the party of Dennis DeConcini. How many people vote thinking it still is and not realizing that this is the party of F. Fourth of July? I mean, I mean, I think a fair amount. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the problem is, I don't even know, you know, who knows if the average voter even understands any of these people that you sort of mentioned to put them into context. Or are they listening to what you said earlier? Are they listening to the immediately preceding ranker from the media or someone else or something, for example, frankly, more likely on their social media feed that's getting them worked up? Yeah, of course. Because someone says something motivational somewhere on their Instagram. And again, I'm not this is not to to discredit voters. No, voters are, are very smart. But my point is you can only hear so many That's things right. from right. your circle of people That's and right. to get you worked up. And this happens in both parties. That's the other thing. No, let no one let you believe that this is a Republican problem. No, this is a problem across the board. Fair enough. Um, we'll talk about fixing it when we come right back. I'm Seth Leaves and he's George Kaloff, and we will be right back. George Kaloff for being with us in studio for this hour. Uh, George, we talked mostly the political and the consulting stuff. Let me talk about the polling stuff because uh, any given week I will get uh, hysteria about one way or the other, depending on who it's coming from, uh, that Trump is up over DeSantis. DeSantis has a poll up against uh, where he's up and over against Trump. You are uh, you, you run a polling firm as well. At, at this stage – how do you counsel to take those polls? 
anyone who's taking polling at this stage and taking whoever's in the lead as, you know, to use this phrase, gospel for who's going to win has not uh, at all been privy to anything that's happened over the last, I don't know, three decades in, <laughs> in our presidential political game, you know. I'll say Scott Walker and Rudy Giuliani and Santorum and a whole host Brett of others Thompson. and Hillary Clinton, a whole host of others that were surging in the polls until they weren't. Or frankly, Bernie Sanders no. in the Democratic no. primary no. where he won two states no. until he didn't. And Howard then it Dean. all yeah. came undone. <laughs> yeah, Howard Dean and his this. screen, yeah. right? Right, right. What we should be taking from the yeah. <laughs> anyway, what we so. should be taking from these polls though is look, there's a there's legitimacy to this idea that um, what would not have been doable four years ago or two years ago for for Donald Trump to really have a credible challenge in the primary. There's a credible challenge in the primary. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, no one ever polled even remotely close, not not since 2015 before he was, you know, before he became president, before he really had locked up the nomination. No one's polled anywhere near as well as DeSantis has. Oh. Uh, he is drawing a different energy. It's clear he's drawing a different energy. People on Twitter are becoming unhinged, um, you know, from, you know, defending you know Trump or not defending Trump. But look, I try to kind of steer clear of any of that, definitely not engage on it. But from a polling perspective, um, it's early. We need to keep track of the polls, but these polls are not meant to be. I mean, my God, if a poll three days out from an election can hardly predict the election, let alone a poll, I don't know how many months out. And again, I always like to remind folks, it is super complicated to poll presidential primaries, especially because a lot of these polls are national and that's not how we elect presidents. We elect them in Iowa. Then we go to New Hampshire. Then we go to South Carolina. Then we go to Nevada, so on and so forth from there. Uh, And so places like California and Texas are going to have a big freaking influence because they have a lot of delegates because of their size. Which is, again, different. So this is going to be about a numbers game. And right now there's no real state-level polling, um, not anything that's super credible. A lot of it's national polling. At least those are the ones that get attention. So we just need to be mindful of that. We need to be mindful as we're, uh, as we're intaking that information. Patience is still a virtue. It is. It is. I need to, I need to live what I preach more. But, yes, that's a good summary. Seth. Patience is a virtue. Patience is still a virtue. We were taught it as kids. It should be in our bones and we should – Remember that. George, uh, it's great having you. It's great to see you. Thank you. Folks, don't go away. I am Seth Leibson. We have a lot more coming up. Brandon Weikert. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.